This morning we're going to have a talk about beliefs. And this is a main, main foundation of yoga. Yoga says that this entire world is a world of beliefs. In other words, in this room, we have this radio station called our mind. And our mind is broadcasting thought waves to each other. If we're socializing here as a group and we're all talking to each other, we're actually broadcasting waves of thought to each other. And people with very focused and intense thoughts can influence millions of other people. So at the onset of the Indian Civil War, one man's mind, Mahatma Gandhi, he started to fast and he said, this is not the world I want. If you guys are going to continue killing each other, I'm going to fast and die. And within three, four days, 200 million people stopped. Or, or Adolf Hitler. The good and bad is not relevant in this talk. In this talk, what's relevant is that if you have a very powerful mind, your one mind can broadcast a very powerful message and influence many other minds. Depends on the strength of your power. Uh, what I'm really talking about is the focus within your mind. Some of you have laser beam minds. For example, some of you at this moment are living the life that you had exactly imagined when you were five years old. The question is, how many of you have manifested something that you used to think about when you were younger? Uh, yoga actually believes that underneath the atom there is massive intelligence. In other words, yoga describes God as a pulsation of consciousness. Um, 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 like that. The church, the mosque, and the synagogue are sitting above the atom. Yoga deals with subatomic energy. And it says that Brahma is a pulsation of love at a subatomic level. Except this pulsation has a quality. Because the pulse of God is made of consciousness, the Lord's consciousness mirrors your consciousness back to you. In other words, you get to manifest in your own life what your repetitive thoughts are. The only issue with this talk about beliefs is that each one of you are looking at me and listening to this talk through your own filter of beliefs. So we're a fairly small group right now, listening to this man wearing this apparent blue shirt. And it seems like all of us are seeing exactly the same thing. But if you were to actually go into each other's heads, you would see that there's 27 ways that you're hearing this talk. It seems kind of unbelievable. As I say to you, are you all hearing the same thing? And you would say, yes, obviously. And you're wearing a blue shirt. We're all seeing a blue shirt. But you're not hearing this talk the same way. That's kind of hard to imagine. Every single one of you is listening to this talk through the filter of your own belief system. So if you used to know an Iranian in high school, and I'm Iranian, you're superimposing your high school memories of that Iranian on me, subconsciously. You're superimposing something. This is why yoga uh, is very, very serious about talking about beliefs. Beliefs are the filter through which you look at life. Every experience you're going to have today between now and 5.30 p.m., every single thing you're going to feel today is going through the lens of your belief system. Like some of you have particular beliefs about spirituality, about God, about yoga. So your experience today is going to go through that filter. Imagine a spider. Okay? A spider takes its own saliva, makes a mansion out of the saliva, lives in its own mansion, says, ah, salavi. In other words, it's made its own home out of its own saliva. We're doing the same thing. All of us are living in our own pet theories. And then the other thing we do, which is quite limiting, 
is that unconsciously we're trying to make our own pet theories come true. And you're able to do that. Why? Because the force underneath the atom, according to the Vedanta, uh, the force underneath the atom mirrors your own thoughts back to you. According to uh, the ancient scriptures of yoga, this God force living beneath the atom doesn't disagree with you. So, for example, if you have hypochondria and you think that every headache is a brain tumor, that force beneath the atom doesn't disagree with you. It simply manufactures results that mirror your own beliefs back to you. So if you're extremely convinced that your headache is a brain tumor, you're going to create some sort of illness for yourself if you keep repeating this for 30 years in a row. Because your body obeys your mind. This, this is completely subservient to this. The body, body, we have body intelligence, but it's receiving its commands from the mind. According to yoga, the mind is what's commanding your, your life. The body receives commands. There is some intelligence in the body, but not commanding intelligence. Uh, let's go on with beliefs. Beliefs are not like solid walls, you know. When you talk about self-transformation, uh, people say, oh, Kambis, it's so hard, you know. You're, you've been working so hard as a teacher for 25 years to change people, but the truth is nobody really changes. And that's not true because beliefs are not like this. Beliefs are like this. I will give you some techniques that can shift your belief within five minutes. It's not hypnosis. If I say the right sentence to you, your mind might suddenly shift. At one point, I was teaching uh, a meditation workshop. You know how I began the workshop? I wanted to get these people into deep meditation. You know what I said? I said, imagine you're a fish. And a fish is surrounded by water. But the problem for the fish is that the water is inside, outside. And it's been born in water. So there's no contrast. So when you say, my Lord, if there's no contrast, you don't see your Lord because it's inside you, outside you, and you were born in it. I said the fish example, and one student flew into bliss. In her mind, she got it, that she was just now, just right now, that she was surrounded by an energy that is conscious. Except, just like the fish who doesn't know what water is, most of you don't know that you are now surrounded at this moment that you're surrounded by an energy which is conscious of you. Hearing this, you may say, Kambiz Nafisi is a schizophrenic, and he's come here to teach us schizophrenia. Because the, the, there's the line between metaphysics and schizophrenia is very, very fine. right? Because we're talking about an energy which is unseen. You can't hold love between your fingers. You can't hold courage like this. X-ray. Gamma ray. The invisible things, we think they don't exist, but they exist. So what if right now, all of you were surrounded, right here, were surrounded by a very high vibrating force, and you can't see the contrast, because it's inside you, outside you, you were born in it. That's why I give the fish example. What would happen to your life if all day you were in the company of a very loving friend all around. You would lose all notions of loneliness. Here's another question for you. What if you were to believe tomorrow that every thought that you broadcast comes and collides with this force, the God force? Your thoughts collide with the God force. The God force forms itself around your thoughts and mirrors the same thing back to you. So right now the quantum physicists are saying that you are living in a participatory world, meaning that you, your thoughts collide with the God force, 
the God force mirrors your own thoughts back to you. If you were to listen to that report on BBC, you know, uh, you wake up in the morning and BBC says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the biggest committee of world scientists has just concluded that you are all surrounded by an invisible force which is conscious. And that force mirrors your own thoughts back to you. If you heard this from an international symposium of scientists, how would your life change the next day? I'm going to pause until I get an answer. If you heard this as utter truth, that your thoughts are being ricocheted back to you, how would your life change the next day? That every thought that you're having is colliding with the God force and coming back to yourself as reality, as your reality. Would you feel more empowered and optimistic or just really scared of your bad thoughts? Is this announcement empowering or more, mostly scary? Scary. So, see, you're all assuming that you have no control of your mind. Can everybody think of a green bicycle right now? Can you do this and think of the worst moment in your life? You have 13 muscles here. If you're smiling, your mind cannot think of anything bad. These muscles, um, they communicate with the subconscious mind. All you have to do is move these and you can't think of something bad because they communicate with your subconscious mind. Uh, coming back to beliefs. Beliefs are not made of solid stone and concrete. You can change beliefs. And we're going to discuss some methods for changing your beliefs. Before I give you the methods, I want to tell you about one part of your mind, which is called the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is the storage house of all of your uh, deepest and most stubborn beliefs. The subconscious mind doesn't understand the passage of time. What that means is when you were seven years old, you may have taken a ride in a propeller plane going over the Alps. And on that plane ride, you hit some very bad air pockets. Eighteen years later, you go to Geneva Airport and you see that your plane is a propeller plane. What happens is your subconscious takes you back to all of the original reactions you had on the original airplane ride. So the problem is, with the mechanism of your subconscious, the subconscious doesn't understand passage of time. So it equates the second propeller plane to the first one. Now, that was a silly example. I'm going to talk to you about more serious example. If you had an emotionally absent father, there are two problems here. Number one, you get attracted to emotionally absent men before you wake up. Number two, inherently you don't trust men. Why? Because your subconscious mind is stuck at the age of seven. So you come to an embassy gathering, a very beautiful man says hello. Your subconscious is comparing him to father. So for those of you who are married, I'll give you some good news and bad news. If you chose Papa exactly as your husband, you made a mistake. If you chose exactly the opposite of Papa, you also made a mistake. <laughs> because it wasn't a free choice. It was just a reaction to Papa. Now, some of you are so skilled, you're going to work it out somehow. But to choose exactly Papa or the opposite of Papa, they're both reactions. In other words, your subconscious mind is either doing this or doing this. But your husband has nothing to do with Papa in reality. And why did I get into this talk? All of your beliefs are stored in your subconscious mind. Subconscious mind has an is issue with passage of time. It takes the original incident and superimposes it 18 years later on the present moment. Your task is to wake up and realize what's happening. 
And in this talk about beliefs, now I'm going to use my hands to show you, actually I'll show you with, with the notes, I'm going to show you a very important diagram. What happens to people initially, there is an event that occurs in your life. Some event occurs, any event. Right after the event, you have an initial perception of what just happened. After that perception, you keep repeating that perception until at the third stage, you have a core belief. The problem about the core belief is that you're looking at all of Geneva through your core beliefs. That's the third stage. Fourth stage, all of your actions follow your core beliefs. Fifth stage, the results of your life are the results of your repetitive actions. Sixth stage, you become the spider. The spider says, didn't I tell you this is life? In other words, all of you are unconsciously arranging the pieces, the chess pieces of your life to prove your own pet theories to yourself. In America, they call it self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, I'm just going to give you one man's story, which has nothing to do with your life story, just so you understand this model of psychology I just talked about. What I said to you is, an event occurs, you form a perception of what just happened, except your perception when you're six years old is not necessarily utter truth. After the perception, you keep repeating that perception until you have a core belief. The core belief starts affecting your actions. Actions create predictable results, and then you have a self-fulfilling prophecy. The problem with self-fulfilling prophecy is that you're not a free woman or a man. In other words, when you walk into this lawn, if you're enlightened, you have no predetermined idea what you're going to do on that lawn. But if you have any memories superimposed on uh, Lac de Genève, then those previous memories are going to block Lac de Genève. Now, let me give you the example of a little boy. Ignore that example, but before 5 o'clock today, I want your example. Okay, listen to this. Little boy of three is sitting in his bedroom, mama comes in, hugs him, and says, I love you, but I'm leaving you and your father for another man. That's the event. So ignore this example. I'm just showing you how this model works. Mama comes in, says, I'm leaving. That's the event. Number two step, perception. What does the boy perceive as happening at that moment? That boy actually walked into my office at the age of 48 on his third divorce. I asked him, what did you perceive when mama left? He said, infidelity, she abandoned my father and I, and as a result, my father turned into an alcoholic. That's step two, perception. But he was only three. Next step, step three. I asked him, what are your core beliefs? I asked the man, how were you with women when you got to college? And he said, Kamiz, it was very strange. I would go on a very romantic date, and as she was smiling at me, I could see the moment of breakup. Only on the second day. I could see us breaking up, but it was only the second date. Italian restaurant, everything is fine, but I'm seeing goodbye. So I said, what is your core belief? He said, well, my core belief is, he said, when I'm looking at a woman, the core belief is women leave. See, by now, he had forgotten the incident at three. In other words, in second year of college, all he saw on a date was that women leave. That's all he could see. The lens was in front of his eyes. Then I asked him about his actions. And uh, my wife is sitting back there, so this part relates to my wife. The man said, are you married? I said, yes. He said, are you watching her? Do you know where she goes during the days? 
do you check her mobile? Eventually he wanted me to divorce Shadi, you know, because he was convinced of something. So I said, well, how do you watch your women? He said, well, once in a while I hire a detective to follow them. I check their mobile phone to see what they're talking about, this and that. So his actions followed his beliefs that women live. In other words, if you see women living, then your actions are going to follow your belief system. What was the result? He had come to see me after the third uh, divorce. So the sixth step, the sixth step is called self-fulfilling prophecy. I said, well, so what is your life story? He said, I told you so, women leave. So now, if you were the world's greatest healer, which of these six steps would you heal? Would you heal the original incident of mama leaving? Would you heal the perception of what you thought when mama left? Would you heal the core belief that women leave? Would you try to change your behavior? Or would you try to change life's results? Which would be the fastest way to heal this man? The second step. In other words, at this point you're 48 and you think that women leave. If I'm a good healer, I take you back to the age of three and figure out what your original perception was to see if you can change your perception. Now, forget the silly example because it may have nothing to do with your lives. By five o'clock, I want your example. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, Kambi, this is very interesting, but I'm open-minded. I really don't have any self-fulfilling prophecies. Then I would say to you, I would say to you, what is the one <coughs> melodrama you keep repeating in your life. There's one drama that you keep repeating. It could be money, it could be health, it could be broken relationships, it could be constant immigration from country to country, it could be uh, collecting too many material goods, uh, something. Each of you has a predictable conditioned behavior. And your conditioned behavior has to do with your lenses with your belief system. Why am I having this talk with you? Because you're not really free until you realize what your self-fulfilling prophecy is. Now, I'm not going to insist that you're sick. If you're extremely happy and your choices are different from day to day, so I'm going to say, good, you're healthy. But what I find in working 25 years with people there was one incident that you came up with a perception. And you kept rehearsing that perception until it turned to your belief. The belief started driving your behavior, and now you have a self-fulfilling prophecy. And because we're living in a quantum world, you don't realize that the atoms, the energy underneath the atom, is mirroring your belief system back to you. Princeton physicist named John Wheeler said you have a mouse, a computer mouse, and you're playing solitaire with your own mind. In other words, you're broadcasting thoughts, the thoughts are colliding with other thoughts and bouncing back to you. You're actually playing solitaire through your own pet theories. You are socializing with others, but you don't realize that the results that you keep producing have to do with your main ideology. I don't want to give you a headache, but imagine how much freer your life would be if you figured out what your self-fulfilling prophecies are. Because you're robbing yourself of choice. And this business of mental conditioning is what uh, yoga calls samskara. Samskara means, you, without knowing it, you have repetitive types of thoughts. And you keep repeating these thoughts until you cut a groove in the CD of your subconscious mind. And then you keep playing the same thoughts. This is called self-talk. Self-talk is this subtle message that goes through your mind. 
But in the beginning, the problem is you're not even hearing them. Like, like one of you saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. The other one saying, I'm too fat, I'm too fat, I'm too fat. The other one saying, not enough money, not enough money, not enough money. The other saying, my skin is too dark, my skin is too dark. Some example, you have some sort of a repetitive thought pattern, and that robs you of freedom. Meditation frees you from repetitive thoughts. Because we go into silence, for a moment your brain becomes relaxed. Let's come back to the talk about beliefs. Uh, never try to change your behavior. Because behaviors are controlled by your beliefs. So let's say you're a smoker. So you go to pharmacy and you get an anti-smoking pill. See, you're trying to change behavior at the behavior level. And it doesn't work. If you want to work on your children, work on their belief system, not the behavior level. You can change their behavior by force or through rewards. But if you shift their belief system, then you have massive changes. Because their behaviors are, are controlled through their belief systems. So come back to your own private life. See if you can shift some belief. The minute that belief shifts, your behavior is going to shift. I had a mentoring program. I had a teacher training program for 90 days. On the first week, I called the participants. There were seven of them. And I said to my teacher trainees, I said, we're all going to play a game. They said, what? I said to them, we have one week to live. Because the seven of us were on conference calls every day. I said, when I say start, all of us have seven days to live. I want you to report to me day by day the last seven days of your life. It wasn't a sad exercise. I didn't, I didn't emphasize the sad part. I just said, we're going to hold each other's hands and we're going to live our last seven days. You would not believe what happened to these seven people. They started going through self-limitations like crazy. Their belief systems started falling apart. Their habits started falling apart. They became joyful. They started calling their wives and saying, I love you. They started applying for jobs three levels above them. They started becoming very joyful just because I gave them seven days to live. You know what I did as a healer? I took time away from the ego. And then the habits fell apart. The self-conditioning fell apart. Now, I'm going to give you several techniques for shifting your beliefs. The minute your beliefs shift, your behaviors are going to change. When your behaviors change, the results are going to change very quickly. If you have good beliefs, we don't want to touch those. This talk is not about your good beliefs, right? Because some of you, we have a lot of powerful people here. Some of you have excellent beliefs. Keep those. I'm just talking about the ones that are limiting you. Some techniques about changing beliefs. Number one, uh, affirmations. An affirmation is a short sentence in the present tense that you keep repeating to yourself like a parrot. For example, health, wealth, happiness. Health, wealth, happiness. But a better affirmation is one that has the word I and the present tense. So, I am becoming healthier. The verb is present tense and has the word I in it. If you say I will, subconscious mind does not listen. It doesn't know what to do with the future. Subconscious wants to know that you are becoming. So an affirmation. I want somebody to give me a sentence that is the opposite of one of your self-limiting habits. Give me an affirmation that makes you happy, empowered, and free. I am worthy. I am worthy. Yeah. Okay. 
subconscious mind absorbs repetitive messages. And you're actually self-hypnotizing yourself, but, but in a constructive way. Like, if you're stuck in your daughter-father relationship, and now you're dating somebody, you walk around for two kilometers and say, my boyfriend is not my father. My boyfriend is not my father. My boyfriend is not my father. Until you get it. You see what I'm saying? Some of you have money issues. So you walk and you say, there are as many Swiss francs as these leaves. There's as many Swiss francs as these leaves. You just keep saying it. Until you open up your mind to money. Next technique. Uh, researchers find that your subconscious mind absorbs images better than words. So, for example, if you close your eyes and imagine the best, best moment in all of your life, if we hook you up to medical machines, you'll see that as you're imagining the best moment in your life, suddenly your blood pressure goes down, the heartbeat becomes rested, respiration rate comes down and you feel happy. In other words, your body and mind don't understand the difference between imagery and reality. Now, visualization is different from daydreaming, you know. If you have no goals, in self-healing, if you have no goals, then you're just daydreaming. But some of you can do purposeful visualization. Like, you visualize your life improving in some aspect 90 days from now. And then three times a day, you sit down, you slow your breathing. Over here, you create a mental image in full technicolor of your life three months from now. In the visualization, you need to include touch, hearing, taste, smell, how many of you are good visualizers? Yes? Some of you are very powerful. Some of you are constantly dreaming things up during the day. So you're good visualizers. So this technique number two will really help. Visualize where you want to get to, but with lots of detail. Use your five senses. Your subconscious mind will believe this and steer you towards it. I'll give you an example from Vietnam. During the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong shot down an F-4 pilot. And in Chinese torture, they bury you up to here in a rice field. So this US captain, who was a golf player, was buried up to here for about seven years. And this, the first few hours, he realized that he's going to die quickly unless he thinks of some solution. He started playing golf in his mind for seven years. By the time Henry Kissinger saved him, he was kind of crooked. He went to a hospital for two weeks. When he came back to the golf course, he scored higher than before he went to Vietnam. He had done seven years of visualization of playing golf. He would visualize which way the wind is blowing. He would visualize which one of the clubs he was using. He would visualize how much of a curve he was putting on the ball. He was up to here in mud. So he was doing detailed visualization for seven years. Both Mahatma Gandhi and Adolf Hitler were doing visualizations in their jail cells. So was Mandela. They spent years visualizing their strategy. Your mind understands pictures. So I recommend, don't choose fanciful things. Choose some real result that you want to get to and start visualizing it in full technicolor. Smell it. Touch it, feel it, and then your body believes it. Has anybody, you don't need to tell us the details, has anybody visualized a life years ago and you have it now? 
You know, some of you have very laser-like minds, so you can achieve results faster than other people. Uh, some minds are extremely focused, or some minds affect the dance of the atom faster. Uh, a powerful yogi can communicate with that force faster. You don't have to be a yogi. Some of you have that talent of communicating with the natural forces much faster. Okay, technique number three. We're talking about how to change beliefs. Technique number three, act as if you've already achieved the result that you want. So this one sounds a little superficial, but it's not. I'm saying if you're a very cowardly person, start walking like a general. So it sounds very unbelievable. It's like, who are you trying to convince? You know you're a coward, but it doesn't work that way. If a coward starts walking like a general, after three months, the subconscious mind starts to believe that you're a general. It's true, you know, if you start acting precisely like who you are going to become, the subconscious mind believes it. This one doesn't sound a little bit uh, unprofessional, but it works. Is there somebody in this room who went into the situation and you were really, really scared, but you acted confident and courageous? and you came out the other end with flying colors. What's the difference between walking like this and walking like this? If you walk 25% faster for five days, it starts to shift your subconscious. Look at the horizon and walk faster. People think you know what you're doing. I did that in Boston once. Four people asked me for addresses. They thought I was the mayor. I was just trying the technique. I was looking at the horizon and walking really fast. People start asking you for directions. Because it looks like you know. So these things sound artificial, but they work on your subconscious mind. Tennis players, you know, major tennis players, they sit in the locker room doing this. They're visualizing backhands. They're acting as if they're hitting the backhand. Other techniques for shifting beliefs. Um, give yourself one week to live. And you'll see what happens to your belief system. I want some volunteers. Do some people want to join me? From the time I say go until the end of the workshop tomorrow night. Do some people want to give themselves two days to live. Yes? You want to try? Sure. But if you say yes, you have to stay in the practice. In other words, when we go to the lawn, you have to imagine, this might be the last time I'm seeing Lake Geneva. But I don't want you to take the sad aspect, because some people take this as a sad. It's not a sad. This exercise takes time away from your ego. If the ego knows that it has no time, it breaks through all sorts of mental habits. You start progressing like wild. But I want you to stay in the practice, because I may forget to remind you. Huh? Will you remember the practice? When we have lunch, have your last lunch. When you hug uh, one of your friends, make it the last hug. But don't take the sad notion. So that's another exercise. It's extremely effective. It'll move you through mental habits like you're on a jet plane. You'll never feel this free in your life. I gave this technique to my teacher training. One of them called and said, I've got a job three levels above myself. I finished the house attic, which I had delayed for three years. My relationship with my wife has changed, and I'm hugging my children differently. And then he said, Kambi's, I can't go on like this. He began with how much happiness he's feeling. And then he said, Kambi's, I can't go on like this. And I said, why? He said, this can't be real. And I said, why? He said, because I'm just plowing through these 
the mental conditioning. I'm plowing through them and I'm becoming so free so this can't be real. He hit the nail on the head. In other words, at some point your ego pops back and says, there's nobody in Geneva who's just dancing around as, as their last day. We have massive suicides in Geneva. This is where you trip yourself up. When you become really joyous, you say, something unreal about this. This is where the problem comes in. He actually got on the conference call. He said, here are the results, but there's something unreal about this. We were very thankful for him to make that comment because he got at the, at the core of the problem. The ego likes pain. You might not believe it, but you get used to your own pain. This afternoon's talk is about living fully. You get a hundred people and ask them, how many of you would like to live like Yahoo for five years? And how many of you would like slow depression for 68 years? <laughs> See how many people raise their hand for the Yahoo. I'm not talking about crazy stuff, just full, full life but only 42 years versus slow depression in the subway. See how many people raise their hands. Something wrong with that. Some of you not, so I'm not going to label you. Let's go on to other techniques, how to change beliefs. Meditation changes beliefs because when we go into silence, your brain waves change and you go below the surface where your beliefs are. Think of an elevator. The elevator goes one floor below where the beliefs are. So in good meditation, you, you get to witness your own thought patterns. If you're stingy, you get to see your stinginess in the middle of meditation. Like a witness, you're not drowning in the stinginess. The elevator goes one level below stinginess. You get to look at it from below. So meditation disentangles you from believing your beliefs. Another technique for changing beliefs, start teaching what you are not good at. What happens in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is that a previous alcoholic who was almost dying through alcohol becomes a sponsor for an incoming drunk. Now, the one who's sponsoring was also an alcoholic, but he's teaching how to not be an alcoholic. So by teaching what you are weak at, you shift your previous self-limiting beliefs. If you're extremely passionate about your profession, you're probably trying to teach yourself what you are teaching. Because if you're that passionate, there's a reason why you're so passionate. Like most psychologists are trying to heal themselves. Most, most social workers are trying to understand the idea of unconditional love. Because they didn't get enough of it. So they're out there in Africa giving unconditional love. They're trying to taste it every day. So that's a technique. Another way of shifting your beliefs, if you have one real life experience of what you're trying to learn, that one real experience will change you forever. What I mean is, let's say you're afraid of public speaking. So you're in the General Assembly Hall, and there's 300 people in the audience, and you've never spoken to an audience. So somebody says, Caroline, go up to the stage and tell him that the professor is stuck in traffic and he'll be here in eight minutes. So you go up there to announce that the professor's late, and all of a sudden you realize that you just spoke to 300 people. You see, one real experience of what you have been trying to learn. So you can trick yourself into a situation where you actually go and do 
something that you thought was impossible. You can trick yourself. You have to find your own examples when you hear me with these techniques. Find out what your weakness is or something that you have a mental block against and then trick yourself and get into a real situation where you have to wrestle with that issue. And if you succeed, it'll change you forever because you've done it once. If you can trick yourself into a real experience of something that psychologically scares you, once you have the real experience, you're finished. It's one of the fastest ways. Well, the news I want to give all of you is uh, these two days, plus all of psychology, plus all of spiritual and personal growth, the battlefield is here. In other words, this whole idea of personal change, spirituality, connecting with the higher forces, the battle is being fought here. And because the battle is being fought here, we're talking about beliefs. What I'm telling you might help you. If you feel like you have to go through solid concrete to change, that may make you more hopeless. But if you're feeling like, this is what a belief is. It's not solid brick. That might make you more hopeful to know that beliefs shift. They're not solid. I mean, I had somebody who was afraid of elevator rides. So I had to visualize that uh, the roof of the elevator was made of glass and that every time they exhaled, the walls of the elevator would expand. So I, I sat in the elevator with them. I held their hand and I said, every time you exhale, imagine the walls are going further and further and further and further. And because she had uh, claustrophobia, imagining that the walls were going further out reduced her fear. We had a few of these elevator rides and she was fine. In other words, she knew what to do in an elevator to change her mind. The elevator did not have teeth, just like your audiences don't have teeth and claws. Your battle is being fought in your mind. The ideas in your mind are like, you take them seriously. It's like one of you is in the elevator and two of us are in there with you and you're dying and we're smiling. So it's the same elevator, but one person is dying, the other two are smiling. So obviously the elevator doesn't have teeth. And this is what most of life is about. For that man who was abandoned by his mother at three, a lasting relationship with a woman was deadly. But it was... You know what happened to that man? He had three weeks of sessions with me. I asked him questions. Through the answers that he gave me, he found out that the saddest day in his mother's life was when she left her baby this man. So then through three weeks of talking to me, through his own words, he realized that his dad had been an alcoholic to begin with and was beating the mother. So all of a sudden, in his mind, women became the friend and men became the enemy. So it was very confusing to him because he had <coughs> built this fortress of women leave and then suddenly you know, the Beatles had stage fright. Imagine that. With hundreds of thousands of people in the audience. Other techniques. If you want to change all of your beliefs in half a second, I'll teach you the supreme technique. In half a second, you can drop your most resistant beliefs. Here's the technique. You're standing up, and as you breathe, Imagine your body's an empty vase. As you breathe, imagine this body is being filled with the force that created you. In other words, as you breathe, 
the God force, the force that created you in your mother's womb. That's beginning to fill you up from the sole of the feet. When it gets to here, there's no more of you left. You're like a vase who is now full of a life force that created you. What that exercise does, it shifts your identity from Katrina to the life force breathing in this body. The minute Katrina is gone, so are your belief systems and your fears. I want you to do this for half a second. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Imagine yourself in your mother's womb. You're just made of two cells right now. You're in a very warm, loving place, your mother's womb, and your cells are coming together, one by one. And imagine there's a force that really adores you, that is putting your cells together. It's a force. Okay? Now, I want you to breathe that force into your body from the sole of your feet up to the crown of the head so that you're becoming completely full of the force that puts you together. At the crown of your head, you're completely filled with another presence. And then slowly you can open the eyes. That's the exercise. And that exercise is not so far-fetched. When you were in your mother's womb, you weren't making yourself. You weren't arranging your chromosomes. Your mother was not building you. Your mother was giving you shelter in the womb, but she wasn't putting your cells together. What about DNA? Somebody with intelligence coded your DNA. DNA doesn't make its own coding. I want you to try this in a situation that's challenging you. Like school week begins next week. UN week begins next week. Okay? Get to a tense meeting and nobody's going to notice what you're doing. With eyes open, imagine that there's, there's a force that creates everything. And as you breathe in, imagine that force is completely filling you up to here. With the exhalation, allow that force to take the next step. So you go before a large audience. They won't know what you're doing. Through your nostrils, fill yourself up with the force of nature, the same force that creates everything. When you're full of it, with the next exhalation, let the force speak instead of Mrs. Ambassador. You understand the instruction? What happened to you just now? Were you still thinking of yourself or did you get into the exercise? You see, if there's nothing left of you, then all of your belief systems are also gone. If your belief systems are gone, so are your fears. We don't want to obliterate who you are. But in reality, did you build yourself in the womb or was there a force? Think about that. Every time you breathe, life is coming in. So fill yourself with the life force. As you exhale, allow the life force to take the next step. That's the exercise. You can teach it to little children. You say, you say Danny, every time you breathe, life comes in. So if you're afraid of jumping two stairs down, fill yourself up with life, with the exhalation, let life take the next step. Teach them that. Because they're going to believe that when they breathe, life comes in. That's not such a hard explanation. If you switch your name with life, you'll drop all your fears. Does everybody understand the exercise? You're simply shifting your self-identity from Bonnie Gil Singh to life comes in, life acts out.
if you're sad that you lost your name for 15 seconds, you're extremely egotistical. Some people are sad to lose their name for 15 seconds. But the reality is you're not a name. You weren't in the womb. Anyways, I'll, I will reiterate some of the techniques for shifting your beliefs. If you want to shift some of your beliefs, you can try one of these. Affirmations, a repetitive, short sentence in the present tense containing the word I. I am becoming happier. Technique number two, visualize. Close your eyes. Some of you are very good at this. In full detail, using your five senses, visualize some change in your life three months from now. In detail. Feel it. Smell it. Taste it. Your mind will believe that. Remember the pilot that the Viet Cong had captured. His golf score went up after seven years of visualization. Tennis players are doing the same thing in the locker room. Visualize. Three, teach what you most need to learn yourself. Svetlana is saying, by going out and talking about spirituality, I'm reinforcing my own strength. Another technique, give yourself one week to live and see what happens to your stubborn beliefs. But you have to do it, you have to seriously live that exercise without the sad aspect. Another one, life comes in, life acts out. The minute you lose your first name and last name, all of your mental conditioning from the past will be blown away in a few seconds. I had a Persian lady, she was raised in, in a kind of uh, macho way. She said, for 18 years, I've been able to hug my son, but I can't hug my daughter. Because in some Persian families, the guy is the prince and the daughter is nothing. So she said, this is very painful. So I said to her, stand there, somewhere close to your daughter, close your eyes, breathe in the force that created you. Let it come all the way up to here until there's nothing of you left. When you breathe out, let that force hug your daughter. She broke a 20-year-old habit in 18 seconds. Once she did the first hug, that was the end. Some of you people in the UN, you're going to have some very important speeches in the next 20 days. Before you get up to the podium, fill yourself up with whatever force put your cells together. As you exhale, let that force speak. How scary is this? Is this a scary exercise? You can get through some very stubborn habits by just filling yourself up with some force that keeps you alive. You don't have to call it God because some of you are not religious. So just say, life comes in, life acts out. Simple as that. This is the main foundation of yoga. Yoga says Richard Hughes is not Richard Hughes. In the womb, there was a force creating Richard Hughes. That's just the name. All of your weaknesses, all of your issues, all of your psychology is stuck to this Richard Hughes. If you shift identity, you'll be very quickly freed. What you're letting go is your ego. Your ego is a lifetime accumulation of habits, uh, personal beliefs, uh, mental conditioning, and then if you let the body become full of life and then exhale life into action, all conditioning is gone. All you have to do is drop your identity. When the identity is dropped, you become very free. I'm not asking you to have no personality. I'm just saying this identity is unreal. The main message of yoga is that Katrina is unreal. 
Our entire experience of this morning is going through the filter of our beliefs. And the minute those beliefs change, our experience of this class is going to change. Now, here's the way I'm going to end the talk. It might make you very uh, optimistic. Do you know that there is no one fixed reality? In other words, as we push away one belief and adopt another one, there's another reality. And then we push that one and adopt the third one in reality change. What the physicists are saying now, and the yogis say, is that the world doesn't have a framework so that you get to the end of it. In other words, your life doesn't have walls. The only walls have to do with how many of these beliefs you can break through. This is not a motivational talk I'm giving you. Uh, look at this. I want to demonstrate something. Imagine this is one of your fears. If you go through this fear, you open up a space. And then you get to experience that space. Then you get to the next one. If you get through the next fear, you open up another space. But what if this went on forever? Uh, the idea I'm trying to give you, and I think it's really going to make you optimistic about life, there are no four walls around life. I understand that our physical life has a certain number of years to it, okay? But what happens during those years, it's not as if there's a framework around it. Every time you go through one fear, an entire new space opens up until you get to the next fear. And then, and then another sphere opens up. You've actually been doing this in your life, you know, because most of you have been growing from one stage to the next stage to the next stage. So you say, Kamis, that's not spiritual. I worked so hard as a second secretary that I became first secretary. And then I worked so hard that I became general counsel. Uh, but it's not quite that way. I understand that work experience is somewhat relevant. But some of you spend 18 years instead of doing... See, some of you think that it requires 18 years to forgive your father. You know, in the psychological part of my work, I help people forgive things from their past. They're, think, they're thinking that their dad was absent because the little girl had low value. It has nothing to do with it. The real issue is that your grandfather never hugged your father, so your father didn't know how to hug you. It was nothing personal. Then we come to another problem. If I teach you to do, but you're still like this. So the question is, how come you're hanging on to your last, last stubborn belief? In other words, we give you all the explanations. We give you all the techniques. You now know exactly why your father didn't hug you. But you still don't forgive. How come? There are some reasons. Number one, you've been with your old character for so long, you feel naked without your old character. In other words, if I change you massively, you're going to feel very uncomfortable. Because your present self is the only one you know. But what quantum physics and yoga are saying is that there's not one limited self. Every time you do this, another one of you is born. But then at the seventh day of the mentoring program, somebody called the conference call and said, I can't do this. I'm too joyful. That's what he said. He was a Dutch man. He said, in one week, in one week, I got a job three levels above. I'm hugging my wife differently. I fixed the attic of my house. And all of my self-created limitations are gone. Why? Because God comes in. God hangs out. And he was living his last week. And all the limitations went away. And then he said, this is overwhelming. What I'm saying is 99% of whatever makes you uncomfortable 
is self-created limitation. I understand ISIS is there, but you don't have to watch news 10 hours a day. That sounds theoretical, but all of yoga says, look, your world comes from your inside out. Your power comes from inside out. What about people who change the world? They're coming from inside out. You know, Mother Teresa's coming from inside out. The world is a mess, but she's coming from inside out. If there's one calm person here, you're going to calm 26 people down because we're animals and we're sending each other vibrations. Your only hope is to live from inside out. iPod, iPad, all this stuff is making you nervous. Use it only when you need information and then put it away. There's another thing you're doing on, on Facebook, by the way, you might not know it. Some of you are stalking other lives or uh, some people are making themselves celebrities on Facebook through so much posting. And what you, do, what you don't realize is unless you have a very big inner life, you're being sucked into stalking somebody else's life. You know, look at her dress. Look at how happy the sun looks. They're posting this stuff. Now, either they know what they're doing or they, they don't, but a lot of people have begun stalking each other's lives on Facebook. When you stalk somebody else, you do major damage to your own soul. Your soul says, hey, I am the one that keeps Svetlana alive. I am the one that puts you together in your mother's womb. I have my own agenda in life. I don't want you admiring somebody else. I want to take you into the woods today because I'm your soul. So when you admire other people to the Facebook extent, you're destroying your spirit. Please teach younger people not to stalk each other. But imagine how hard that is. You give that message to a 15-year-old girl and there's this really pretty popular girl in class. You're trying to teach these girls an inner life. One final comment, and all of you know this. Uh, the children, the people around you, are tuned in to you to see what you are modeling. Okay? So if the father is modeling some sense of my inner life, then the little son, who happens to think that dad is a god, is going to start figuring out that dad is modeling the idea of inner life. In the beginning, they're just uh, mimicking you. But then they start figuring out that this might feel nice if I shut off the TV, shut off this, shut off that.